Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 108. Today we are talking about the great win from Ohio State over Purdue and the rest of the college football landscape. And we are going to dive into a deep dive today about accountability. Now we got a, a little bit of a special episode for you guys coming out soon as well. We did an interview and uh, it was with the real Abhinav, a social media personality who speaks on um Actually, a lot of really interesting topics about improving yourself and uh, even weed addiction, which is not commonly spoken about. So strap yourself in. Stay tuned. We got an exciting episode for you guys today. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with another college football sprint with Coach Zach Smith. Uh, good weekend for Ohio State well, this weekend. Bad weekend for some other blue blood programs. Zach, let's get into it. Absolutely. Let's do it. So uh, starting with uh, with Ohio State, I think we finally saw the performance that the fans were waiting for uh, this weekend where we – the offense fully clicked um, all around. Our receivers looked great. Our quarterback looked great. And our, and our secondary seemed to do a pretty good job as well. So what were your takeaways, Zach? Yeah, I mean, it's the first time all year that you would say that the offense was clicking. I mean, almost 50-50 run pass. I mean, 361 yards passing, 263 yards rushing. I mean, almost 10 yards per attempt on offense. I mean, CJ was 31 of 38, just scorching five touchdowns. He looked great. Um, the run game was was dynamic. I mean, 8.5 yards per rush on average for the team. You, you saw that second option out of the backfield. Mayan Williams had a great game. So offensively, it was, I mean, it's what you want, right? It doesn't, it honestly doesn't get much better than that now I don't I know we all know Purdue's defense is not ideal um or not not ideal but they're they're not a great solid defense but Ohio State handled business and, and cooked I mean they, they only had seven third down attempts in the whole game which is nuts and, and they were four of seven so they got over over half which is always your goal um just a dynamic game on offense almost 60 points I mean it's that's what you ex- expected from this team all year long now defensively I was really I mean there's a lot that ca- to, that that showed their showed its ass right Purdue everyone knew Purdue couldn't run the ball uh everyone knew that and and they actually averaged more per rush than they have against pretty much anyone else this year which I think was indicative of Ohio State trying to play more pass coverage because they knew Purdue would throw it every play I think the problem is they made Aiden O'Connell look like fucking Peyton Manning I mean 40 of 52 <laughs> 400 yards four touchdowns zero picks I mean it was I don't know. It's just it was concerning, I guess. Uh, If their only objective was to keep David Bell out of the end zone, then mission accomplished. But they they let everyone else run wild to give up 31 points to this 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 Purdue team. That Honestly, in three quarters, because by the fourth quarter, it's a blowout. Purdue didn't even score and weren't really trying to. So I'm concerned about the defense, still concerned about the, the, the pass defense and. And I, I think that got exposed even more so. And and we'll see this weekend because Michigan State, man, they launch it down the field. Launch it. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And it's, it's, it's definitely concerning that, you know, we're allowing people to move the ball against us through the air the way that we are considering our history um, in that department, right? So but we do have a, a, a big game coming up, and I do think there was some concern especially after how Purdue performed against this same Michigan State team 
uh, that we might have a letdown game or be looking ahead to Michigan State. But I think the thing that I'm I like that I'm seeing at least on the offensive side of the ball is that everything seems to to be starting to click. And so long as our defense uh, plays above average or pretty good, I don't think there are any teams in the in in college football that can really keep up with with us in a in a shootout. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Yeah, yeah, I I agree there as well. I think um, what was nice to see was just the crisp passing and like the very clear decision making. Obviously, still one or two little miscommunications on the offensive side, but um, it it's crazy. I mean, I was watching Georgia. You know, we had flagged that one as our potential um, potential upset, right? And uh, Seeing them play, it was like, this is a good team for sure, but I ran back through their schedule, and it, it was a relatively weak schedule. Like, I really don't think that the, the one team that we've said is above everyone else. I mean, they're definitely – they look good, but will they look good against Alabama, you know? Will they look good against Ohio State's offense? I mean, that's the real question here when, when you look at Georgia is, is – and that's why I, I, I probably jumped the gun a little bit predicting Tennessee to upset them. Although in that first quarter, I mean, it's 10-7 to 7 at the end of the first quarter and Tennessee was moving I the ball going that way. really well. Yeah. I mean, they threw for 330 yards passing. And no one's going to run the ball on this Georgia defense. Their front seven is silly. But I really thought Hendon Hooker could, could challenge them through the air, and he did to, to an extent. They just – I was probably most impressed, and we knew. T- I knew Tennessee's defense wasn't great. I just didn't know. I, we hadn't seen Georgia's offense kind of explode like they did on Saturday um, yet, and so we'll see if they can do that against Alabama's defense. Alabama's defense is not the typical Nick Saban defense, but they're a much better defense than Tennessee. So we'll, it, you know, time will tell with this Georgia team. But I think uh, I still I love Ohio State's matchup against them if they were to play in the postseason. Yeah, uh, I think it's a. It was indicative of what I think the fans were looking for. That <laughs> those stats you uh, you just shared are kind of disturbing and seem to be the stat line that we keep going back to. But hopefully, we'll be able to get through uh, through this Michigan State team um, leading into leading into Michigan. So, what do you see as kind of the keys uh, for the matchup this weekend, Zach? Well, Michigan State has the worst pass defense in the country statistically, like number 130. I mean, so so wow. coming off of that game last weekend is like, all right, um, now we're going to play the absolute worst pass defense in the United States of America. Um, and Ohio State's offense should be really, really used to it because they face, you know, the 110th or whatever they are every day in practice. So <laughs> they should they should be able to cook uh Michigan State's defense pretty much at will and that's what we saw with Purdue. That was the, that's their Achilles heel. Purdue throws the ball every play when they played Michigan State. Michigan State can't cover a pass to save their life and uh that's how they exposed them. So I think offensively there should, Ohio State should have no problem moving the ball and scoring. It should be a lot like it was Saturday. We should see another dominant performance. I think the biggest concern is all right. Ohio State's rush defense has been pretty good. Can they stop who I think is the Heisman Trophy winner uh, running the ball? And then Michigan State launches it downfield. They literally hand it to Kenneth Walker, throw little dinks and dunks, you know, under 10 yards, and then launch it down the field to the, to their two fast guys, uh, Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor. And, and so these corners are going to be tested down the field. And so the question is going to be yeah. like, all right, are, are, is Ohio State secondary up to that task? Because if it's a shootout, I still like Ohio State, but that's not going to be ideal for the big picture, you know, success of Ohio State down down the run here. Yep, 100%. Yeah. 
That's, that's well, so true. And I hope to see some adjustment on the defensive side of the ball, too, some sort of growth game to game. Like, Zach, if you were to kind of create, like, a chart for us, you know, as the fan viewing the game, what what is, like, a meaningful step in, that the defense can take to get that improvement that we're all hoping for? Well, I mean, I think their biggest issue is underneath coverage. Um, and, and there's when they run zone, whether it's a two high or a one high, um, they just they don't seem to have much awareness of of where receivers disperse and how to adjust their drops. And they certainly don't ha- yeah. do a great job of of playing with vision and breaking on throws. I think that's their biggest concern. I mean, I, I would love to see Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown both play sixty plays and and leave seven banks and and some of the other guys off the field a little more because I think those two corners are really, really good. Um, they have a post-safety issue, um, and, and, and Bryson Shaw looks out like a fish out of water to me, although Ryan just keeps praising him. Um, so I don't see it on film. Maybe maybe it's what they're asking him to do, which I think is asinine if that's the case because when I watch it, I, I see him as a weak link. Um, and, and, and I think the slot corner is the biggest issue, right? That whatever you want to call him, Marcus Williamson's played well there. Lathan Ransom has has digressed from last year. So I, I don't know that there is a fix uh, other than maybe, you know, they, they got to play a little bit better within their scheme. They got to be coached a little bit better to attack what these, these offenses are going to do. I mean, everyone in the country knew Purdue was going to throw the ball and that was an opportunity for them to hone in on that side of the ball, right? That no one was worried about the run game. There was not like play action was confusing the linebackers. I mean, it is literally drop back pass, like do your job and execute your defense. And they didn't do it. So it's very concerning. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. It is. And, you know, we've got these two tests coming up um, where we are going to be challenged a little bit more on the defensive side. I know Michigan struggles against the pass, um, but we, but they, uh, they're still Michigan State, and they're still a Big Ten opponent. They have a running game. They have a passing game that works. Um, so our offense, again, it puts a lot of pressure on our offense to perform the same way that we did against Purdue. And I think what both of you guys are trying to, trying to figure out is, is a way to alleviate some of that pressure off of the offense and let let the defensive side of the ball help us win some games more than they have been throughout the season. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's it's this Ohio State's gonna team is gonna have to win with offense, and that's just what it is. And we need the defense to improve, and need them to you know obviously get better and 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 get stops and disrupt the ball, get after the quarterback, do things that defenses need to do if you want any chance to, to be successful. And then this Ohio State team is gonna have to look like Bama last year and LSU the year before. They're gonna have to score fifty some points in in the playoffs. Uh, or, you know, assuming they make it there, let's say all things go well to to actually hoist the trophy at the end of the year. From what I've seen through whatever it's been, nine, ten games, um, they're going to have to score f- over 50 points against great teams. I mean, th- if they ever play Georgia, they're going to have to put up 50 points. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, that's a challenge. Big challenge. Yeah, a- we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see how this stuff shapes out. Um, we also saw Oklahoma get upset this weekend. You know, that was uh, not the desire over in this household. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was an it was an interesting game. It was a fun one to watch. And Baylor was a little better than I thought. Oklahoma played worse than I thought they would. Um, what did you think about that one, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I, – I didn't predict an upset, so I'm not going to, like, tout that I did that. But um, 
but the reality was people were riding uh, this this Oklahoma train that was a facade, right? I mean, you had Spencer Rattler. Oklahoma fans tried to tell me in, in on Twitter, which is the best place to get information if you don't already get it from there. Um, they tried to tell me that, that Oklahoma has two Heisman Trophy candidate quarterbacks, and that's their issue. And I'm, I'm like cr- crying, laughing, like, and, and to the point where they were attacking me saying, like, Tell me you don't watch film without telling me you don't watch film. And I'm like, oh my god, this is the most delusional <laughs> fan base in America. Like, I watch more film than probably anyone in the country, um, and I saw what I saw. Right, Spencer Rattler was below average, got benched. They put this kid Caleb Williams in. He faced literally three or four teams ranked over 100 in the you know bottom 10% of college football in passing defenses and then Baylor was the first one that had two digits in their pass defense ranking which was 87th so it wasn't like their ass kickers in the pass D it was just the first time that he faced a pass defense that might have kind of known how to stop him and he was abysmal he was terrible and uh, his Heisman campaign went down the toilet just like my mentions got real quiet um, he was He's just average. He's he's not average. He's a really dynamic player that's not a great quarterback yet, and he's young, like really young. And so he could be a Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick one day, but he's not today. And Oklahoma's got a problem on their hands because they got some some legit games coming up, these next two games and the Big 12 championship game. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish out. I mean, to think that they have to play Iowa State at home, mind you, but Iowa State is a good football team. They just haven't had a great year. And then the matchup with Oklahoma State, only to possibly have to play them again the following week in the conference championship game. I think Oklahoma gets another loss and, and you know, is ranked about 15-16. Yeah. What, what would you say would... <laughs> it's just sad to see this happen, too, because if you've grown up watching college football... You're used to the Big 12 in these southern states, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, having good football teams, right? And being a, a, a good conference. Obviously, they've, they've lost some teams, but they still have a great recruiting ground, uh, a great football culture down in, in Big 12 country. Yet, it just seems like we're watching this conference implode in every way possible the last few years. Yeah, it's it's really bad, and it's it's only going to get so much worse when uh, Oklahoma and Texas jump to the SEC. It's like I don't even know what's left. Like it's 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 like the AAC or, or Conference USA. It's uh, it's the Big Twelve is has completely imploded. The ACC is awful, awful football. Um, the Pac twelve yeah. is just a different brand of football. I don't know. I mean, outside of Oregon, I mean, it, honestly, the country is just in shambles outside of the SEC and the Big Ten. It really is. I mean, I, I it's it's sad to see. I don't know if it's coaching. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it, it's certainly not a lot of times you look at regional success, right? Like, all right, maybe the West coast high school football's down. Maybe, you know, the kids aren't playing as much. It's like, no, those kids are all still coming out of there. They're just leaving town. They're, they're going cross country, right? The Southeast is never going to be down. The Midwest has always been kind of second fiddle to the Southeast. And the state of Texas is loaded with players. So it's just about coaching. And uh, these programs that, that maybe made bad hires like Texas did. And I'm not, you know, they brought Charlie Strong in, who was a fish out of water in the state of Texas. Then they, they parlay him into Tom Herman, which we all know was a disaster. And now I think they have a good football coach. It's going to take, a, you know, a good two years, three years to turn that place around. And, and now the real problem is that doesn't even help the Big 12 because they're not in it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, all right, yeah. is, is Texas Tech or Oklahoma State going to ever be like, you know, at least like a, uh, I don't know, a Florida or a, 
uh, a Mississippi State. Like, are they ever going to? I guess they're better than Mississippi State, but are they even going to be a second tier team? They're, they're certainly not, probably not going to be Alabama or Ohio State. So, who does the Big Twelve have that can be a contender now? Yep, yep, and 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 you brought up you brought up a, a good point regarding whether it's just coaching talent, and we're seeing this with the turnover. At a lot of programs that, although they weren't the most elite, they were consistently nine, ten win programs. They keep hiring these coaches that we think are rising stars. We're seeing it at, at Iowa State, Scott Frost in Nebraska, um, our guy at, at Virginia Tech who came from Memphis. It just seems like all these guys that people are saying are the next, the next great or the next great program. They keep faltering when they get that opportunity to go from, you know, kind of the middle tier, lower tier programs to that next step. They seem to really be struggling in that that middle step between, let's say, an Iowa State or Nebraska and getting a job like USC. It doesn't seem like too many coaches are taking that on. Obviously, Luke Fickle being the exception, um, but it, it just seems like we're lacking. Uh, a lot of coaching talent and program building talent in college football. Why do you think that is? Um, you know what? I, I don't, I don't entirely know. Um, I, I think part of the problem is, is, is there's a lot of recycled coaches. Like you even look at right now. All right. What is going to bring the PAC 12 back? Well, the two of their crown jewels, right. Are open right now. The Washington just fired their coach. USC is, 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 is it has a vacancy. It's like, all right, what is going to bring the PAC 12 back? Well, it's good. They're going to need some dynamic hires and you look at who they're talking about. I, I read today. Washington is, 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 uh, the leading candidate to get the Washington job is Tom Herman. It's like, I, oh wow. my gosh! Like, I okay, wow. it's a de- it's a decent fit, but is that really going to bring Washington to national prominence? Maybe, but like, I think you look at schools that that really surged, right? Alabama, who was was down for a while post Bear Bryant, really, they went and got Nick Saban, who was a proven winner, right? He had success at Michigan State, won a national title at LSU, went to the Dolphins, and it was not going well. And Alabama said, "Screw it, we're going to go get a guarantee." And they hired him. You look at what Ohio State did. They went through. They had to fire Trestle, right? They, their, their program, Ohio State was on the verge of becoming Tennessee. And then they hired Urban Meyer. They, whatever it took, they were going to get Urban Meyer, right? These programs, and no different than you look at Florida when they rose to prominence. What did they do? They went out and took a risk on a, on a proven winner, a hot coach that they felt like, this guy is the next Steve Spurrier or Nick Saban. And I know I, I understand that, that uh Everyone thinks that, right? When you make a hire, you're like, oh, this is going to be the next great one. But they rely on search firms and agents, and now politics are involved. And no longer are they really trying to go find the best football coach. They'll hire a guy that has a great offense, right? He's a great offensive coordinator. Like, what the hell's that got to do with being a head coach? And uh, one, a guy that I follow is it was it was a, a legendary high school coach in St. Louis. Um, he tweeted something out yesterday, and it's so true. He said, if I was an AD and looking to make a hire, I would go find the guy, the assistant coach, that is able to pull eight recruits a year out of like South Florida or wherever and give him the keys to the program because since when does it matter if you call a good defense when you're running, you're the CEO of a program, you can hire someone to do that. You need to be able to recruit, relate to players, and, and so I think they have the formula wrong. I really do. That's an interesting perspective, Zach, because I think that a lot of people look at coaches as, you know, these uh, master strategists. And I think that you can be like there's certain coaches who, you know, who do cut their bread on their schemes and on their programs. Like if I think 
um, you know, even in the basketball world, like a Popovich comes to mind, right? But I think the other thing to underscore is that it's not not easy to put together a really good program, especially in such a dynamic landscape. And I think what we're seeing this year, you know, maybe it's bad coaching, but maybe the players in general are just that much better across the board. You know, youth athletes are getting better IQ, better um, athleticism, better explosiveness, better everything from a young age these days. Like, I think the sport's getting parity. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily getting worse. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's it's becoming uh well it's 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 only going to get worse from here because of the and not that i don't agree with it i like i like that they did it but the the nli stuff and now i mean now high school kids are being you know getting approved to do NLI. so now you're talking about the 16 year olds are going to be getting deals from gatorade and you're like holy shit this is basketball all over again with aau um and so yeah the, the sport is taking a hit that way and it's also taking a hit through officiating i mean you can't play the game of football anymore it's it's the worst in the nfl when you watch it i'm, I'm almost done with the nfl i mean they push a yeah. quarterback as he's throwing and it's a 15 yard flag that ends up winning the game for the other team you're like what is this sport it's awful but the other thing that I think is important is is you look at, you know, most of the time coordinators get head coaching jobs, right? And coordinators are, are evaluated on their offensive performance. Most of the time they're scheme guys. And you look at who's won the national championships over the last, what, two decades. Who has it been? All right. Nick Saban is the one who you would say is a scheme guy and not a great recruiter. Yep. Every other one, Eddie Orgeron, horrible scheme. Good recruiter. Dabo Sweeney. I don't know if he knows an X from an O. Great recruiter. Um, who, who else is there? Jimbo Fisher. I, I don't know him that well. I know he's a great recruiter. I think he's he's maybe a hybrid between Nick Saban and an Urban Meyer. And then Auburn with Gene Chizik. Come on, man. Completely yeah. a, a recruiter. And he had Gus Malzahn, who was a guru scheme guy, running the offense, right? And then Florida, Urban Meyer. He's not a scheme guy. Never has been, never will be. He is a great recruiter person, people person, right? All the way back. Mm-hmm. And you just keep going back and you're like, it's always CEOs that can recruit and can relate to players. Even all the way back to Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is a player's guy. And so I, Nick Saban, I think, has created this facade in college football that you need this brilliant scheme guy to run your program. And the reality is Nick Saban is a great manager, and that's why he's been successful and he puts a priority on recruiting and hires 10 great recruiters. And so I think that's the that's the the missing point in in these programs trying to turn it around is they're trying to hire, you know, Tom Herman who knows football, I guess pretty well. He's a pretty smart guy and it's like, yeah, but he's not a he, he doesn't relate to players. Players think he's goofy. Like that's not the the formula for success. Yeah, and I agree with you Parker, that there's there's a lot more talent, but I think this is why the coaching part of it stands out even more because it's the issue isn't a lack of talent. The issue seems to be a lack of development of talent. Once they get on college campus, there are programs, you know, like you were saying, Zach, Alabama, if you look at Nick Saban's tenure there, they've replaced the offensive coordinator. How many times the defensive coordinator, how many times, but the system keeps on rolling. I think we always go back to, establishing a culture and and i'm seeing this happen especially at some of the bigger programs too is they we don't even get a chance to see sometimes whether or not a coach is going to turn into a good coach because they give them one or two years then some big name comes available suddenly there's turnover again they're starting the process 
over again. And it just seems like this this thing in college football where it's like there's no patience anymore um, as well with with coaches that potentially could be good. For example, I don't know how good Charlie Strong is or isn't, but I don't think he had a fair shake in Texas as soon as as soon as uh, our guy uh, Herman became available. They're like, okay, let's get him out of here. Let's get Herman in here without thought to do these players and personnel meet match Tom Herman at all. And the answer was probably no. You know. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And I think people, the real problem is every program is looking at Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, right? Nick Saban goes yeah. six and seven in his first year at Alabama. Then all of a sudden he's 12 and two, 14 and 0 national champs third year. Urban Meyer was, I mean, Bowling Green flipped it in, in year two, um, really year one. And then year two was, was great. Utah, year one was a major improvement. Year two, undefeated season. Florida, year two, national championship. And then Ohio State, year three, national undefeated season then year three national championship so they they see these two examples of what they want and it's like okay that's so unrealistic right like that that's two guys in the in the last i don't know 30 years that can that can flip programs like they do and because they just have they they know how to build that culture and and some of these other coaches, it might take a little longer and you have to have patience but there's no such thing as patience with the high dollar industry that college football is Yep. Yep. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. There's a lot of high profile openings coming available this year, and it doesn't seem like there are enough names to fill them. Names that you would say, okay, they're a difference maker, you know? Um, you know, and, and well, I would like to see the Virginia Techs, the Florida States, the Miamis, the Washingtons, the USC's like, I feel like every year I'm adding names to the list of programs that used to be good. Um, and I hope, I hope we see a shift in that, uh, sometime soon. Yeah. It's just going to take, I mean, yeah. I think it's going to take, um, ADs or, or pe- people in power to make decisions on their own independently and, and stop involving agents and in politics or, you know, not, not politics, but you know, that, that, coercion that goes on between agents and agencies and trying to get their guy the job so that this guy you know gets money and if if, if an ad would just step out and say you know what screw all you i'm not hiring any of you and i'll and i'll die on this ship if it goes down i'm gonna go find me the best yeah. college football coach in the country if a program does that they got a chance otherwise we're gonna keep recycling through it's the charlie weiss effect right tom herman's gonna be a head coach at like five places fail everywhere and just keep getting residual income checks yeah Hey, it's a good gig, man. It's hey, I would take it. I would take it. I mean, it's a great gig. Charlie Weiss has got like four. Has, I think he still has four schools paying him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Luol Deng is the sixth most paid player on the Lakers right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, what do we have this uh, this coming week to look forward to, Zach? And you know, can I just say, uh, let's let's just say for the audience. Fuck Oregon. They shouldn't be ranked above us ever. I can't wait till we get a chance for a matchup. Well, I, th- I think the reality on Oregon is, that, first of all, they absolutely should be. They beat Ohio State fair and square in the in the horseshoe on the road. <laughs> this is my fandom talking. Yeah, it certainly is. But I, uh, the reality is, I mean, Oregon's going to have to play Utah twice, and Utah's a good football team. Uh, they have to play them this weekend and then in the Pac-12 championship game. So I think they'll lose one of those two. It's going to be really hard to beat Utah twice. So I don't know that I think it's going to be a moot point for sure, um, but 
but I, I, I love that. I, I think it's actually, I think it's uh, absolutely astonishing and ridiculous that that Michigan is ranked ahead of Michigan State. I mean, they 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 settled that literally a, a week and a half ago on a field. Like, how can you even yeah. say that? Um, but th- yeah, this yeah. One, go ahead, V. Yeah, yeah. So that that didn't make any sense, and it it, it reminds us that sometimes the people that are tasked to know what they're doing really don't. <laughs> oh, that's a fact. That is, that that's a fact. Um, but but as far as this this weekend slate, I mean, obviously Ohio State, Michigan State is going to be huge. Um, Oklahoma with a potential upset alert against Iowa State is going to be a good game. Um, other than that, I mean, Texas A and M has Prairie View A and M. It's it's the battle of the A and M's. The SEC doesn't have a great slate. Alabama, Arkansas could get dicey, but I doubt it. Cincinnati's probably. Uh, big well, certainly biggest threat of a regular season loss is SMU this weekend, which uh, that could be interesting. Now they're going to have to play a good Houston team in the or in the AAC conference championship. Um, outside of that, uh, is it's not a great weekend other than the games we already talked about. I mean, I think Utah Oregon is the other game where you you might learn something, right? You, you, uh, Oregon could might get knocked off by Utah and it kind of end the the Pac-12's plight to a, a playoff team. Other than that, it, it's kind of a, a casual week eleven. So you're, you're the the scenarios that you're playing out right. Let's say Oregon loses uh, another game. Um, Oklahoma has one loss. Let's let's just give them the respect of maybe winning out and winning the Big Twelve uh, with one loss, and then you have one one loss Wake Forest in the ACC. Do you think that if it seems like Cincinnati believes as they should, that if Oregon goes down, that they are entitled to that last position, but do you think they're going to end up giving it to a one loss wake forest or one loss Oklahoma? If that scenario plays out? No, I certainly don't. I I think right now the biggest threat to Cincinnati, not making it is uh, Georgia losing to Alabama. Because that in that case, Georgia and Alabama both get in over Cincinnati. Because um, you look at the landscape, right? The ACC has nine and one Wake Forest, and, and, and their their next, I guess the the game that they could lose to to knock them out of contention, which is a real threat, is they're going to have to play an eight and two pit team uh, in the ACC championship game. So that that definitely could happen. In, in the Big Twelve, it's it's a three horse race: Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. And honestly, Oklahoma State, if they beat they Oklahoma. Yeah, and if they beat Oklahoma and win the Big Twelve, they have as much a right to to the to the college football playoff as 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 Alabama does or, or anyone else with one loss because their only loss was an Iowa State upset. And then they will have beaten Oklahoma and beaten all these teams. And then Baylor's not out of the mix in the Big Twelve. They're certainly out of the mix in the playoff. Um, the Big Ten, it's it, it, there's still a lot to be seen, right? There's there's three one loss teams in the East, and they they all play this week and next week. So um, Michigan needs Michigan State. To uh, to lose to Ohio State and then beat Ohio State to to make it to the Big Ten championship game, but there's a path there for them, right? Um, we obviously think Ohio State will win out, and then the West is a complete train wreck uh, in the Big Ten. I think it's going to be Wisconsin, so that should be a, a relatively I don't want to say easy. They have a really good defense, but it, it shouldn't be that problematic for Ohio State. And then the SEC. Um, it, it's almost solidified Georgia, Alabama, and that game's going to tell us everything we need to know. Like I said, the Pac-12, uh, the, you know, the other team that 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 is going to have going to try to stake a claim, and problem being is they lost on a on a field of play. Is Notre Dame's going to finish the year eleven and one, yeah. and their only loss is yeah, going to be yeah. Cincinnati. And then at that point, you're looking at Cincinnati like, wow, they beat the probably they'll probably be what number six in the country at eleven and one. They beat the number six team in the country, the only loss that Notre Dame had. 
So I, yeah. I, I think it's Cincinnati's got to. They need Georgia to beat Alabama, and if that happens, I think Cincinnati gets in. Yep. Either Georgia beats Alabama or Oregon takes another loss. I think they're the fourth team in. That's what yeah, it's looking like. Absolutely. That'd yeah, be an exciting, well. that'd be an exciting, exciting thing for Ohio fans. And then, <laughs> and then they get the rematch from their bowl game last year. They're going to have to take a bite out of the number one team in the country in Georgia. Yeah, that is going to be an interesting matchup. There's a lot. There's a lot left to be said. It's going to be an exciting finish to the season. Um, Zach, I know you are having your last tailgate of the season uh, again this week. Tell everyone how they can how they can get get there and, and join the party. Yeah, we're excited for it, man. In Michigan State last home game uh, in in Columbus on campus. We're going to have our tailgate, the Point on Lane, right next to Varsity Club. Um, it's going to be awesome. We got a bunch of former players coming back. A bunch of current players' families are going to stop by that I've talked to. Um, it's going to be kind of the send off uh, for for the events of the year. We've raised already raised. I think ten grand for charity, which is awesome. And and I, don't, I haven't even told you guys this. Um, with within my charity, I'm starting a fund. It's, it's called the Zone Six Fund that is going to scholarship uh, Columbus City kids. It, not, it doesn't have to be a Columbus City kid. A kid that doesn't have the financial means to kind of go get what a lot of these kids get, which is private training in high school. Right? Go go to Plus Two University and train with Eric Lichter, who trained LeBron James, Ted Ginn, and all these guys, and and work with elite, you know, strength coaches and position coaches and and, and kind of hone their craft. And so we're going to scholarship kids starting this winter and pay for them to go there. And I'm really excited about it because I think you look at Columbus city, there's this, it's awful football and talent, but awful football. And most of the kids don't make it out. Malik Harrison is a kind of a, a an, an outlier. I mean, he's, he's, he's the unicorn, right? He made it out to Ohio state. And I, him, I tell people him and, that, Darren, him and Darren Lee, well, Darren Lee's new Albany. That doesn't count. No, Albany doesn't yeah. count at all. No, no, no. Yeah. Darren, Darren Lee could have yeah. could have had all those those opportunities. I'm talking about Columbus City School, like, like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of and, course, of and, course. I and, forgot he went to New Albany. Yeah, and, and Malik Harrison is a guy that you look at him, right? He was a great player at Ohio State, a high draft pick, starts in the NFL. He would have never ended up at Ohio State. He probably would never have the career he has right now had Luke Fickle not kind of just randomly been like, "Hey, there's this kid that's uh, it's at a Columbus City School that I think is a kind of a." potential freaky athlete why don't you go watch him play basketball and so i went and watched him play basketball and i came back and i was like listen that kid's not a wideout but we need to give him a scholarship right now because and and honestly you watch his film his football film awful you'd never offer him ever it was terrible but i watched him on a basketball court and i'm like this kid is a freak and i think i think it's unfair and i think the city of columbus needs to do better and so that that's what that's one of the biggest things we're doing with our charity is going to do that also you know with Alzheimer's research and we're funding a bunch of things but really excited about the tailgate so come hang out 50 bucks all you can eat got drinks flowing it's going to be a good time that's great well zach we're looking forward to talking to you again next week after a big Ohio State Ohio State win. Hopefully you're recovered from any hangover you have from the tailgate. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it, fellas. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. 
Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Partha, what's going on, man? That was, that was a great uh, college football segment we just did. Bro, what, uh, what I was also doing as we did that college football segment was filling up a bath for myself. Nice. It was incredible. Well, here's my question, though. Why do bathtubs take so long to fill up? Makes no sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. It feels like a huge use of water, right? Because, like, I don't shower for that long. Yeah. You got you to gotta make sure you earn those baths. Yeah, you got to. And have the patience, and have the patience to, uh, to wait for them, right? <laughs> wait for them and then execute on them when the opportunity arrives. Yes, yes. So, Speaking of you know. Executing on an opportunity, I think it ties us nicely into uh, what we want to talk about today. And let me just, you know, readjust our view here so we're in the clouds. You know, if you guys watch our clips, you'll understand what we're talking about. Yeah, it looks way better. Looks way better. Feels better too, honestly. Feels great. Feels yeah. great. Well, let's let's jump into this week's topic. Uh, it's a word that, again, one of these words that's said a lot. But I don't know how well people under, learn to understand the word and what it actually means, which is accountability. Um, and that's accountability, whether it's in your job, accountability in your personal life, accountability um, as a person, as a human being in this world, what that means um, and, and how you develop that as a strength uh, versus what we see with with many people, is it being a weakness um, that people constantly have to work through and get better at? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting one because I, I can't, for the life of me, understand lack of accountability. And I think that's just because I'm a person who's highly, highly anal by <laughs> by uh, birth. You know what I mean? Like, I'm very, yeah. like, very, like, fixated on details. And I hate when shit is even just, like, a little bit off. I, I should have said OCD. Uh, I think that accountability is an interesting one because there's a lot of reasons that uh, people mess things up. But if you think about it, it's a very, very simple kind of ask when you're asking someone to be accountable. Just do what you say you're going to do. Right. That's it. And I think where people mess up is what they say they're going to do. They just say they're going to do a bunch of shit that they're not going to do. Yeah. And then the second part of it is, is that, we all know that sometimes you can say what you're going to do and some things might go wrong. I think the second part of this is people turning um, molehills into mountains when things do go wrong versus continuing to take accountability, finding excuses um, as to why things aren't working out versus just telling and communicating things as they happen. Hey, this happened, my bad, right? Like, it's really hard for people to accept blame, but the sooner that you accept blame, that is accountability, right? If something messes up, 
whether it's something that's in your control or not, if it's something that you promised, you owe communication on that. You owe answers to that question. That's accountability. It's not always having the right answer. It's not always solving the problem. It's literally being available, right? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's, I, it takes me, I don't know. It takes me down a lot of different paths of thought here because I think there's a lot of different forms of seeking to word, being accountable, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's also this kind of cultural context around us where we're essentially beat up for most of the things that we make mistakes on through our upbringings. And so many of us are conditioned not to want to be vulnerable or make a mistake in front of others. And I think that's that's one of my root root causes, I think, in terms of when I see a lack of accountability, it's usually people's fear of the consequence of not like spreading bad news, essentially sharing bad news um, and not knowing that, you know, you've got a teammate that you're sharing that with and anyone who blames bad news on a person is not a mature person. Right. But like, that's hard. It's hard when you're a kid to look at an adult and be like, oh, that's that's still a child inside there. Yeah, it is. It's tough. It's tough. And, you know, and. In one of our favorite books, The Four Agreements, there's one of the agreements is to be impeccable with your word, right? And what does that mean? To be impeccable with your word is is fairly simple, right? Don't say a bunch of shit that you don't make. Don't make promises that you can't keep. Take your word seriously. When you say you're going to do something, think through that promise before you make it and whether you're capable of delivering on that promise. If not, then shut the fuck up and don't say anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's fairly simple. We live but, in an age of attention too. So like people want to say a lot of shit these days. Yeah, they do. They do. And and that's the key, right? The less is the less is more is is something that's being really lost, I think, in this generation of more is more, 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 more all the time, right? Like the people that I like the most are the people that say the least but do the most, right? If your mouth is moving and your limbs aren't moving, then you're <laughs> probably not getting a whole lot done. Of course, unless you work in customer service or in a call center, you guys get an excuse, right? That's the, that's a well-said thing. If your mouth's moving, you're not doing anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I there's a lot of people that could stand to hear that in this world. Essentially, shut the fuck up and start executing on your, what you said you're going to do to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the problem that we're facing with accountability these days is that consequences are not the same for lack of accountability. So I think it's, it's one of those things where if you're not paying a consistent price for not living up to your word, not doing what you're going to say, it becomes a lot easier. It's like with anything else. It's like, it becomes a lot easier to not be accountable, right? Because as much as I love all the self-improvement stuff, everything that we see, there's a there's a downside to this awakening sometimes, which is excuse making, always finding a reason, an external variable as to why you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing on a day-to-day basis. And look, we're all going through stuff. We're all dealing with stuff. Part of the process of being a mature and successful adult is knowing how to process that stuff and still doing your job. And I feel like more and more we're finding 
and excusing people for not doing what they're supposed to do for some external variable or reason, finding those excuses versus actually holding them accountable. Yeah. And that's what you're saying is, is really important, which is the other side of accountability, which is holding people accountable. So this is also a problem in our culture. We don't hold people accountable. We listen to their bullshit or let them act like victims and we let them get off the hook because we don't want our friends to beat themselves up. But yeah. someone's going to beat themselves up because they screwed something up. The question is, did they screw something up? If they did, then they need to know they screwed something up. Their reaction is their responsibility, not yours. That's a hard yeah. thing to, to feel and disassociate from because when none of us want to say something that hurts somebody else. Yeah, and you, you brought up a good point about holding people accountable, accountable and the challenge that comes with that. Oftentimes, the people that hold us accountable are not people we like very much, right? And likability is another part of this process that I think people put too much weight into, right? There are certain situations, certain things that you need to say um, that you can't worry about whether or not it has an impact on how people perceive you because it's important enough for you to hold that person accountable, right? And if in the short term there's some friction, then so be it. If 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 you know that what you're doing is coming from a place of, hey, I'm going to hold this person accountable, if there's any negative reaction to that, that's a that's a problem that they have. It's not a problem with you. And you can't walk around on eggshells being scared to hold people accountable um, because you're worried about what their response is going to be. 100%, man. And, you know, I think that I was reflecting on this surprisingly this morning while I was journaling this exact topic. Um, I didn't call it accountability, but honesty. And I've been in a lot of situations in my life where I've called shit out. I've been the guy who said something and it's lost me a lot of friends. And I was just reflecting on that. And I think what's interesting is that if you're going to hold people accountable, it doesn't make you the most popular person, you know, and you, you kind of have to accept that by holding people to a standard. And I think there's context for this, right? If you're just yeah. hanging out with somebody, you don't need to be a dick and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you don't need to be telling people how to live. Yeah. But this isn't a work based or, yeah. or a value value based relationship right exactly in in a transactional situation like a business situation yeah where there's a commitment made or sports let's we could even use sports right it's yep. it's always the same thing if you say you're gonna do something and you don't do it i'm gonna tell you and if you say something false to other people i'm gonna call you out in front of those other people i remember there was this group that um i have some business with and they wrote an email to a big group of us, essentially just throwing this guy under the bus that um, I felt that they took advantage of him in the way that they did a deal. The deal didn't work out and they threw him under the bus and said that he was violating all these codes of conduct and stuff. I know the guy. He's not that type of guy. And I know these guys and they are the type of guys that would lie about someone else, you know, breaking the rules. Right. And so I replied all to that email and I told things how they were and it burned some bridges, but I'm an advocate of truth and I'm an advocate of making sure that people can't continue to abuse power or status to, you know, make people ignore their mistakes or not even see them. And I think accountability is like in a society that's trending to entitlement. Accountability is the only way to fight that. It is. It is. 
It is. And it's, it's a hard journey, right? And it's a journey like everything else you have to go through. It is hard to always take with accountability comes responsibility. And sometimes you just don't want to take responsibility for everything, every action you commit, every word you say it's, it's hard, right? It's hard work. And that's why it goes back to being careful what you say and how much you say and how much you commit. You know, I think it's really easy in society in this day and age to make promises, right? And to say, I'm going to do something. It's also really easy to not do said thing, right? And move on quickly to the next person. We're so, we're connected to so many more people these days where, whereas before the digital culture, you were probably only accountable to a small group of people day to day. So if you let those people down, the consequences of that were much steeper, whether it's in a work environment, business environment, whatever. But in in this environment we live in, I feel like people have less value. Relationships have less value. So it's easier not to be accountable to another person because they're just another number, right? They're another follower. They're another somebody that you met through email. There's not that real interaction with people that makes it much harder to then be responsible to that person. Yeah. Let's talk about punctuality too, right? Like that's another form of accountability. And it's something that around LA slides a lot. I understand yeah. traffic concerns, right? And I understand social events. If if you're meeting for me for dinner, you're 15 minutes late. I don't really care. Yeah. But if you're meeting me for a business meeting and all you need to do is sit at home on your computer and log on, I give you two minutes of buffer. Yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like maybe three, three, three to five minutes, right? And if it's going to be more than five, I need a text. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. I'm not pressed within that range. You know, things happen, you know, we got to all run to the restroom and do our things. And, you know, we've all been in those situations. But if you're not able to, you know, live your life in a way that you're not drastically inconveniencing others, that's a huge problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's a lack of accountability. Yeah, it is. It is. And then also there's this weird cultural dynamic that i'm seeing too which is like these social games that are played that result in lack of accountability if somebody sends you a text leaving it on red not responding think overall your mindset should be if someone is trying to communicate with me if i can communicate with that person at that time let me communicate with that person stop playing these games you're always going to be liked more and embraced more if you are the guy that's consistently responsive right and you don't need to worry about whether or not somebody thinks oh this guy's just waiting by my phone somebody sends me a text typically they're going to get a response you know somebody sends me an email probably not as quick of a response but if i see that email they're going to get a response leaving things just on red and not responded to and, and that mindset is a very dangerous one as well. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. And this is something I struggle with, which is text, because I'll see a text and I don't want to send some negative response. I don't want to essentially like say, no, I'm not interested in that. Or no, I don't want to, I don't have time to talk right yeah. now. I can't do that. And so I'll leave things with the blue dot or, or I'll read it and not respond and forget about it. And I mean, that's, it's kind of what you're saying. It's like, it's more respectful for me to be honest in the moment than it is to try and find a way to, 
make them feel good all the time. And like yeah. that, that's like a people pleasing trait. It's not a good trait. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't. It's like you, you it's okay to let people down in the moment. <laughs> letting that linger creates more of a problem right if, if yeah. you can't respond right now just say you can't respond right now right because what what happens by doing that is you put those question mark questions that other people need to answer in their head when it's your responsibility to answer the question and 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 respond it's not theirs to try to figure out why you're not responding yeah you know these are just like small little things that i think are shifting in society that i think need to shift back um yeah. to to help us get back to that uh that frame of mind because if you have an accountable society or you have an accountable business forget society if you have an accountable business or a, a accountable structure around you you're going to move forward in life if you know you, what they call accountable people too they call them cutthroat they call them cold it's like just focusing on Okay, did you keep your word to me? Then I will work with you again. Did you not? Okay, then I won't work with you again. That's yep. not that's not cold. Yeah. That's following basic kind of rules of how we should conduct ourselves as humans. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And you know, this this happens in 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 the world of business and jobs. Like, and the other thing that happens is like it's really easy to convince ourselves that something's not our fault. Right. Like when you drop the ball, it seems like it's so much easier to find someone else to blame than it is to just say, you know what? I screwed that up because yeah. people are scared of the consequences of saying they screwed up, <laughs> you know, versus understanding that you probably are going to face less consequences in the long term by just consistently saying, hey, I screwed up versus constantly finding an external variable to blame because eventually you're going to get figured out versus if you're just saying hey i've screwed up it's 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 hard to figure out the truth right it's to to find fault in the truth <laughs> yeah 100 percent. it's hard to find fault in the truth but we somehow tend to find false truths to cling to <laughs> well said well said touche <laughs> touche uh, you know, it's 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 just one of those things that I think you and I talk about a lot, which is just like this isn't that hard of a thing, but people make it very complicated, right? It's yeah. like just do your job the, to the best of your abilities. It's no one's saying do your job perfectly. Try your hardest. Be respectful to the people that you work with and that you're talking to of their time, of their communication, and understand that you have a goal that you're trying to reach and that the best way to reach that goal is by doing all the things that I just said. And if you can do that, then you might not be a millionaire today, you might not be a millionaire tomorrow, but you will get farther than by doing things the way that you're doing them right now yeah and the thing with truth is you will disappoint people people will yeah. get upset people will get angry and a lot of them will send those emotions your way but if you're holding your your own self to the highest level of accountable then i think it's only the the most respect you could show yourself you know that's the most love you could show yourself is 
to hold yourself to a higher standard than everybody else. Yep. Yep. You know, one of the things that I do um, and I try to do very differently now is be wiser in choosing the people that I'm going to be accountable to, because I know myself, if I choose to support you, you're going to get a hundred percent from me. So I have to be very careful in who I choose to be accountable to, right? That's another part of this too, is choosing your circle properly. Because if, if you truly, truly do pick the right people to be accountable to, it's a rewarding experience, right? Because you're giving and getting the same in return. And it's actually more rewarding than, than, than not being accountable, being fully accountable to the people in your life is one of the most rewarding things that you can do for yourself. It's more rewarding to have one to three people like that than it is to have a thousand or a million people that you don't know what you're going to get from them. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think we're at our button. We are. We are. I think we had a, think, don't think there's much more to be said other than take responsibility be accountable stop lying be truthful (laughs) treat human beings like they're human beings not just another digital email and you'll be okay yeah kind honest forthright that's all you need to worry about the reactions of others are not your responsibility yep and with that said remember to stay moving and be you you is fly how the boys out Pilot boys, we get on now.